Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali and I, are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. So today we are in Second John. Our schedule goes for <clears throat> verses 1 through 5. There are only, um, you know, 13 little verses in this, in this letter. There's only one chapter. So um, really fun study for me uh, just to study this in its totality. Um, as we said earlier... John jumps right out of the box. Um, he doesn't refer to himself as an apostle. He just refers to himself as an elder, uh, maybe an elder in terms of the church, like an official position, or just being an elder in terms of his age. He, he is probably the last living apostle at the time. This was the later years in his life. He was probably, um, this was written... Um, from Ephesus, you know, that's where the Ephesian church was at the time in Asia Minor. Um, and he jumps right out the bat. Uh, as we said last time, he's talking to the elect lady. Now, either that's a church with her children, okay? Um, the church being referred to previously as the bride of Christ, um, and, of course, now you have this reference to family and children. Children could be the born-again believers. Um, or it could be, you know, um, elect lady um, could be uh, some lady in the church. Some lady in the church who's being real generous to people. Um, the application of the letter uh, could be applied either way, and the application of the letter to us is certainly <clears throat> uh, at the core of how we can uh, interpret this letter. But we get a window of how personal John makes this gospel message, and I think that's how beautiful I think it is. Now, John talked about First um, John talked about love. That was the takeaway message uh, of 1 John. Uh, 
mainly, if you had to boil that letter down, Jesus gives us two commandments. You got to love God and you got to love one another. And it all starts with Christ. Christ is the life, the light, and the love. And so all of this starts with Christ. And so Second John, a.k.a. Two-Eyed John, um, now talks about love, but talks about another uh, important principle that has to go along with love, and that is truth. And so One-Eyed John, which is like First John, has been said, um, talks about loving God, loving one another. It all begins with Jesus Christ. Two-Eyed John says, yep, or Second John says, yep, we're going to be talking about love, but within the context of truth. Because without this context of truth, um, love uh, is not really love of God. You've got to have, you've got to have God's truth as it applies to God's love. So if I could maybe outline these first three verses, because there's a lot of big uh, principled words in there, and uh, rather than just letting it be a hodgepodge or a potpourri or, uh, or a word salad, so to speak, um, rather than it being like that, Let's sort of put these words into context. You've got God who loves the world so much, who loves us so much. He has mercy on, on us. And this mercy results in his act of grace. And this act of grace is a gift, is a gospel message, is a gift of Jesus Christ. And that grace is what saves us. We are saved by grace through our faith, but that God's grace is that way out, is that salvation, so that He, out of His love, can give us His peace. So those are the big words that, are, that come from God. God has so much love that He has mercy on us even in the middle of our ugly sins. He gives us the grace, the gospel message, this gift, this undeserved gift that allows us to be forgiven and then no longer be at uh, odds with God, but we now can be at peace with God because our sins have been reconciled. Christ has been the propitiation for our sins. So we have this, we have Christ, Jesus, the Son of God. It's the second form of God coming to man. And uh, Christ is the personification of God's grace, of his gospel. But Christ is also the personification of something else, is his truth, is the personification of God's truth. So Christ gives us God's truth. God's Word, God's Word is the truth. And Jesus Christ said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in Christ we have the truth, and that is a vertical sort of element 
to this relationship. It goes from God through Christ down to you and me. That is this vertical element of God's truth. And uh, otherwise, if we didn't know the truth, the mercy, the grace, the peace, the love, all are just words. But they have to be within the context of the truth of God. The truth is God loves us so much. The truth is God had mercy on us despite our sin. The truth is that God has grace given to us in this gospel message. This is a, the way out for us. And he gives us that grace in Christ so that we can be at peace with God and we can have the presence of God, which is his peace in us. That's God's truth in Christ. And that truth abides in us after we place our faith in him. So we have God's truth abiding in us. And it is a complete vertical relationship. God's truth is abiding in us. Okay, God's truth is Christ. So we have the first coming. I mean, we have the first, we have the, the uh, you could think of it as the second personification of God to us is Christ. And then, of course, the third personification is His Holy Spirit. And then we have this horizontal application of God's love and God's truth is the love, the command love, the commandment, the love commands that He gives us to love God and then love one another. So God gives us a command to love God back just as He's loved us but then also to love one another. In truth, within the context of God's truth, as we love one another. So I think that, you know, there's a, a vertical component to this relationship and a horizontal component to this relationship, but it's all within the context of the truth. So with that being said, let me read these uh, verses now. Verse 1, the elder, meaning John, to the elect lady and her children, this could be to the church, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. So, this truth is for all of us, and it defines the capacity and the way in which we love and we apply God's love. We apply God's love in His truth. Because of the truth that abides in us, in other words, God's truth is not only given to us, but it lives in us. And this truth is Christ. Christ's Holy Spirit. So this is like the third incarnation of God is Christ. Christ's Holy Spirit, and will be with us forever. This truth abides in us. This truth, in a world spinning with lies, deceptions, and untruth, fake truth, we have a real truth, and that real truth 
is not only just in the Bible, that truth lives in us. We have a truth, and it lives in us. That is so comforting, especially just personally to me, because I get so frustrated when I see people ignorant of God, violent in the world, and you know what's right and wrong. And you're in a world which the world seems upside down so much that people deny truth. People deny what is right. God tells us what is right. God tells us. But this generation denies that, denies what is true. And the truth is not just in some dusty old Bible on a bookshelf. The truth is meant to dwell in you. The truth of God is Christ. Christ is the personification of God's truth. Christ is the personification of the Word of God. Remember in John, the book of John, chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Christ is the personification of the Word of God, the truth of God. He's the personification of God's grace. He is the personification of God's peace. He is the personification of God's mercy. He is the personification of God's love. <clears throat> so that truth <clears throat> dwells in us, not only now, but forever. It's not going anywhere. How comforting that is especially to read in a world spinning out of control, in a world spinning without truth today. Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace. These are God's attributes. These are God's original acts based on His love. He has mercy on us in our sin, as we said before. He gives us this gift of grace which is Jesus Christ, his gospel message. And he give, then after we place our faith in Christ, he gives us his peace. He gives us his mercy. He gives us his grace. He gives us his peace. Why? Because he loves us so much. It's not enough for him just to love us and say, oh, I love you great. I love you so much. No, but he does things. He gives us things. He sacrifices himself, his son, Grace, mercy, and peace, verse 3 again, will be with us from God. This is from God. We get this not from ourselves. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Again, all of this is in truth and in love. <clears throat> It's not love without truth. Because God could just love us, and then we could be so spoiled children, we could just do what we want, because God loves us. It's almost like the Israelites in the Old Testament thinking, well, God loves us. We can do anything we want. They didn't have the truth. And when they deny the truth, they really deny the love. 
Because you can't love one another without the context of God's truth. Because if you don't have the context of God's truth, you don't have God's truth abiding in you. Whatever love you're loving one another is not the love from God. This generation holds on to love as a virtue for sure. But it's not within the context of God's truth. And when you don't have the context of God's truth, it's just conditional human love. It always fails. No generation, probably more than this generation, wants to love. Oh my goodness, yes. They write songs about it, everything. You know, there's a lot of lovey-dovey websites, and this and that is love. But it's all love without the context of God's truth. And without the context of God's truth, it's just human conditional love. People only love if somebody loves them back. They don't have love for somebody that they don't like. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Verse 4. That's great. Truth goes all the way down from God all the way down to you. The way you walk, you have to walk in truth. It's not just on Sundays. It's not just some abstract on how you live your life. It's how you walk. It's how you live every single day and make every single decision. And the direction of your walk. Not just the way you walk, but the direction of your walk. You're walking towards things to please God. Walking in the truth. That means you're walking sometimes in directions where you don't have the answers. You don't have the timetable. You don't have the exact destination. You're walking sort of in trust. Sometimes that's an uphill walk, isn't it? And sometimes it's a walk that is a scary walk. Maybe it's a walk because you've got cancer or disease. Maybe that walk is a different kind of a walk. But you can walk in the truth. If your walk is in truth, that pleases God. Because you're letting His mercy, His grace, His peace, His love actually be be lived out. If you don't have His truth in you, you're not letting those gifts, those gifts appear just real shallow. But if, if you're walking in truth, you have His truth abiding in you. His Holy Spirit abiding in you. And it affects everything you think and say and do, the way you walk. Just as we were commanded by the Father, walk in the truth. That's a commandment. If you want to if you want to please God, you need to you need to follow the example set forth in Christ in his truth. Verse 5, and now I ask you, dear lady, this is the personal reference again, not as though I were writing you a new commandment. This is the exact same thing that he was saying in 1 John, in one-eyed John, when he was talking about just love so much. But the one we have had from the beginning, he's talking about the original commandment, 
that we love one another. Remember, Jesus said, I'm giving you an old commandment, but it's re- it's really a new commandment. Or saying another way, I'm giving you a new commandment, but it's not really anything new. It's really an old commandment, but I'm giving it to you in a new way. You need to love God, and you need to love one another. He said all of the Scripture from the Old Testament and the prophets can be summed up in these two commands. Love God and love one another. And this is what Second John is saying again. This new commandment is that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. So I'm touching in on verse 6. I'm not supposed to go to verse 6. But let's end here. This new commandment that he is giving, which is really not a new commandment, it's really an old commandment, but it's been, it's been um, made new again through the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that we, yes, we can love one another as he wants us to love, because now we have peace. We have peace. We have been reconciled. Our sin has been reconciled to God through his mercy, through his grace, because of his love, we have Jesus Christ that reconciles our sins. Now we have God's truth in us, God's word in us. In a world spinning with untruth, just about everything that comes out of somebody's mouth that doesn't acknowledge Christ is an untruth is a deception, is a lie. It's a moral untruth. Most all the politics you see is morally wrong because it doesn't acknowledge God. You get so much science today that is based on a godless viewpoint of the beginning of the world itself. Evolution was originally developed as a theory. Now they teach it as fact. Why? Because it conveniently gets rid of God being the creator and it conveniently gets rid of man acknowledging his own sin. And it conveniently allows people to claim that they're the scientist in the smarty pants and that the Christians are the non-scientific people that don't believe in science, of course. So it it's sort of a self-perpetuating self-aggrandizing way of thinking. It's in a science book. It must be true. And anybody who doesn't agree with me is uneducated. And now we have the politics of race. We have politics of things like that. If you don't agree with me, and my appraisal is that the quality of a person is based on their skin color. Oh, really? God says it's based on your character. This, and everybody is a sinner. Of course, if you don't agree with me these days, you know, you're wrong, all this stuff. And the, the politics of all this is, again, very conveniently taking God out of it not acknowledging your own sin, not acknowledging 
Everyone is a sinner, and everyone needs God. It's very, again, very convenient that the politicians can uh, avoid the argument. The scientists avoid their argument. The politicians avoid their argument. And people avoid the argument of truth, of God's truth. They want the love, but they avoid the truth. Everybody wants to claim the love, the emotion, but they avoid the truth. So many people want to get married in a church, but they're really not Christians. They avoid the truth. They want the emotion, but have they really accepted Christ in their life and attempt to walk in his truth, to please him? It's not just about saying, oh, I believe you, Lord. Yes, thank you for loving me. Now I'm going to go out and do whatever I want to do. No. It's one thing to claim you believe, place your faith in him. But it's another thing to accept his truth of that there is right and wrong in God's eyes. That's a different story. Love is the easiest thing to grab onto. But if it's not given within the context of God's truth, it's really not God's love, is it? Such a really strong lesson here for us. You know, I think everybody wants to be loved these days. And if you go around sort of repackaging Christianity as, hey, you know what? God is love. God wants to love you and everybody's good. It just really oversimplifies Christianity, doesn't it? Yes, God is love, but God is loving you despite your sin. You have to acknowledge your sin. That's what God's grace is all about, his forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross for you. He is the propitiation for your sins. That's God's truth. That's God's word. So we really hold on to love these days, but we deny the truth of Christ, the truth of of our own sin and the truth of his words that they need to direct our lives so that when we love one another, we're loving one another in God's truth. These are really important messages for us today. So I hope this is helpful to you. Um, This really has been Very, very um, helpful to me this morning. Um, Just to review how important, how critical, how vital having God's truth is in the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we think, the way we see the world, the way we take in knowledge from the world, and more importantly, in following his commandment, the way we love one another. So, 
I'll turn the rest of the podcast over now to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. And from me to all of you, keep your hearts centered on Christ. And I'll see you tomorrow as we continue our study in this really, really powerful book of Second John. God bless you all. Hello, so today's teaching is coming from Second John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, all the way to verse 5. And um, scripture reads, verse 1, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. So the key to this epistle is this word, truth. And um, the elder in this epistle we have identified as John. And he could be using this term elder in a twofold way. That's, you know, the first way is he was a senior citizen. At the time he was writing this epistle, he was around about the age of um, 90 plus. And um, the second way in which he's using the term elder is he was an officer in the church and he doesn't call upon his office as the apostle as it could be um that's you know the one he's writing to that's the lady um actually accepts his authority in the church so the elect lady in greek terminology the word is elector and it's could be the name of that this prominent christian woman who was in the church and it could also be um, the church that he has in mind as well. So when he says, and her children, because here it reads, um, to the elect lady and her children. So these could would also be the physical children of the woman, the elect woman he's talking about, or the spiritual children of the church. So it's, it's twofold. It can be he's talking about the church and uh, the, woman's, the woman's children, and um oh the woman you know elector could be her name as well so these could be taken both ways and um this is the church of believers as a whole and uh, he's not only talking about a particular denomination and all or in that particular day he's talking about the body of believers so now he says whom i love in the truth so christians you know, Christian love can only be expressed in the confines of the family of God, which means those who have the truth and the truth is in the word of God. And the one revealed in the word of uh, God is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's that's the love that's being talked about. Like as a Christian, you know, you always to love one another as the brethren, those who are genuine, genuine Christians who are genuinely in the faith. So here he's warning this woman, because um, this woman, um, this prominent Christian good woman was, you know, she opened up her doors to her home and she was entertaining uh, Christians. But in those Christians, there were some who are not genuine, some who are heretics, because Gnosticism had actually cropped up in those days. So this is what uh, John is warning, um, not only this woman, even the, just the church. So Christian love should be in the confines of uh, the family of God. So John is saying that the object of his love must be, you know, to another, to other genuine believers in Christ. And 
is actually genuine in asserting this, uh, you know, his faith, their faith, and not just, you know, a pious platitude of, you know, just lip service and, you know, outward form by just showing I am a Christian, I go to church every Sunday, but you actually don't believe um, in, um, you know, you don't have genuine faith. You actually don't agree to certain aspects of scripture. Like um, you have, uh, say, you don't believe in like the core of Christianity, which is what Christ did for us on the cross. Uh, so John actually embraces the rest of the body of believers then. And um, they also love, you know, they also are to love other believers and love you know, either, you know, this love is, you know, it, sh it should be expressed towards other believers as well. We ought to walk in love and in truth. Um, so here he's talking to, you know, other believers as well. And he's also either maybe talking, also maybe talking about the church or the woman in the church because, you know, of her outstanding testimony. But John is also like, um, you know, casting his net further. Uh, and talking about other believers as well, you know, the church, uh, because, you know, and, and this woman as well, because of our outstanding testimony, she has, a she was a generous woman who actually opened uh, her home to believers. And that's what we are to, we ought to do as believers. So verse two, um, goes on to read because of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. So here he, John is emphasizing you know, that we as Christians, we ought to have a defense of the truth. We ought to stand for the truth. So the truth today needs to be defended. So we need to stand for God's word. And, you know, we need to come out and stand for it. And, you know, stand for something. And not try and, um, you know, say things plainly as they are, as scripture puts it. You know, as Dr. Jimmy McGee always keeps on saying, he is dogmatic about the word of God. He says it as it is. He doesn't beat around the bush to make it uh, suit, um, you know, a certain sector or a certain type of people. He just says it the way it is. And John is making it clear here that for, you know, the, for the truth's sake, because, you know, scripture says, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever because today we you know we can't uh, as believers um you know we can't trust anyone we can't trust the media we can't trust politicians we just can't trust anybody but the only person we can trust is the lord jesus christ and the spirit of god makes these things real to us it makes the word of god real to us god doesn't change he is unchanging he's unwavering um no matter what changes in life you know the times may change the weather may change but god still remains the same and, you know, the word of God makes, um, the spirit of God makes the word of God real to us. And the truth is unchanging. Verse three goes on to read, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God, the father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of the father in truth and love. So here they are three things that we need to be clear on and to think of, to actually be clear on, um, in our thinking. So the three words here, the three things, and th those are the three words, that's love, mercy, and grace. So if we turn to the book of Ephesians 2, verse 4, let me just turn there. So Ephesians 2, um, sorry, Ephesians 2, chapter 2, 
Okay. Verse 4 reads, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So here it states, um, you know, that God is, God because God loved us, this is why he extended his mercy, you know, for us to have a savior. Um, so here Paul is saying that God is rich in mercy and, you know, because of his great love for us and he saves us by grace. So God saves us. So it all stems from love, actually. Um, so because God, in the beginning, God has always been love. That's an attribute of God. So we have here love and God is love. And before anything was created, God was love. So love is that in God, which existed long before he actually exercised, you know, any mercy or grace towards us. So this is the attribute of God. God is love. So the love of God never saved a sinner. Uh, it's not written anywhere in scripture that the love of God never saved anybody. So God's love caused him to move in the direction of mercy and grace. Because of his love, he had mercy upon us by giving us a savior. And that savior died for us on the cross um, in order for us to be saved by God's grace. And, you know, so... You know, God's love caused him to move in the direction of mercy and grace and caused him to exercise mercy and grace. So now, you know, what's the difference between mercy and grace? Okay, so mercy is that in God which duly provided for the need for sinful man. That is the mercy of God and um, God today is rich in mercy because he loved us and you know, it's actually stated in Ephesians that I just read. Let me just read Ephesians 4.2 again. 2.4 rather again. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love. So God is rich in mercy because he, he God is love. Because God loves us. Because um, um, of his great love with which he loved us. So he provided for a savior for us because of his mercy. Because God loved us. But mercy didn't save man. No. What saved man? So we are told that grace is that in him which acts freely to save all the demands of holiness which have been satisfied by Christ dying for us on the cross. So God today is free to act in grace. So he can come to a sinner who can't provide anything for God or offer God anything. We can't offer God anything. And, you know, God can come to a sinner and say, I loved you and I am rich in mercy and I provided a savior for you. And, you know, if we trust him by grace, are we saved? So by God's grace, are we saved? So through faith and not only by ourselves. So we can't save ourselves. So we have to trust him and he's going to save us by grace because through his mercy, he provided a savior for us because he loved us. So God didn't so love the world that he saved the world god's scripture says you know and that's john three sixteen. god so loved the world he provided a savior by his mercy for the world so god saves by grace so salvation is not only god's expression of love but it's also expresses god's justice and god's righteousness and we <clears throat> not only need <clears throat> john three sixteen. We also need Romans 3.26. 
And you just turn to Romans 3.26, which reads, To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So let me just read that again. <clears throat> to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus. <clears throat> so, um, in order to justify us, you know, when we trust Christ, God has to be righteous, holy, and just. And he became just and righteous because his mercy provided a savior because he loves us. So, at the end of the day, it all stems around love because of God's love not only did he provide a savior but he saved us through his grace so he because you know all the demands of holiness were met when that when the lord jesus christ died for us on the cross so grace saves us mercy provided a savior and when we have all this then the peace of god that passes all understanding is going to keep our hearts and um let me just read verse two again that's um, of Ephesians. Sorry, not Ephesians. What am I saying? Of uh, John, Second John, which reads, "Because of the truth which abides in us and will be in us forever." So these great truths won't change. The truths they offer, like God doesn't change; He isn't changing. So the truths abide forever. So um, God doesn't change. Love is expressed in. The boundary of truth so if we trust God and have faith in him um, and you know only then um, you know can you know can can we like um, can we embrace uh, other believers because the Word of God is centered on love we ought to love um, you know the commandment that the Lord Jesus Christ gave we ought to love our fellow believers Verse 4 of 2 John reads, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. So here the children, you know the children here are either the children that are members of the church or the woman's physical children. And it's actually nice to have children that are walking in truth. And today it's not popular among children. You know, to walk in truth, to actually uh, walk in the knowledge and in the truth, in, in, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of kids today, it's not, you know, God's just not popular. And it's always nice and it's always refreshing to find, you know, kids who are interested in, um, in um, the word of God. So um, let me continue reading verse four. It says, um, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the father so here the commandment is that we walk in the light because god is light because he is the light so verse 5 goes on to read and now i plead with you lady not as though i wrote a new commandment to you but that which we have had from the beginning that we love one another so here from the from the John's first epistle, the beginning here is the beginning of Christ's ministry. That's the incarnation. So the teaching the Lord Jesus Christ gave is, if you love me, keep my commandment. 
So by this, the world shall know that you are my disciples. And what's commandment is this? To love one another. So we have here, you know, walking in truth and loving one another. That's the brethren. So, you know, the love of God, you know, the love of the brethren is, you know, confines to the church, the believers who have faith. And this is actually needed in the church today to walk in truth and in love of um you know the brethren so you know we extend love to one another and that's the greatest commandment so to walk in the knowledge and in the love of god so you know the um, if if we walk in love and in truth then we are fundamentalists because we follow all the fundamental teachings of the word of God. Um, if we actually walk in love and to walk in love is to actually, um, to walk in love and truth is to actually, um, trust in the word of God, to actually study the word of God and to grow in the knowledge, um, and truth of God. So everything is stemming from, uh, love, um, the grace, the mercy and the peace of God. It stems from love because God is love. And, um, and, you know, we ought to love our, our fellow believers in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, those genuine believers. So uh, this is what John here is telling this lady. You know, she's a great outstanding Christian lady who opened up her home to others. And for me, my greatest stake here is, you know, let us love in proper judgment. Um, you know, not all um, are our friends you know, you, you, you know, other people go about giving lip service and saying, you know, um, you know, I'm a believer, I'm a believer, but you know, they go right behind your back and stab you in the back. So we ought to love in proper judgment. And this is what, um, John is writing to the elect, um, woman. So yeah, this is our teaching today. Thank you all for listening in. Uh, God bless you all and have a pleasant Tuesday. Bye-bye.